0: Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast, for anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, this is Rob Moore and welcome to another episode of the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Decisions, decisions, J-F-D-I. Being good at making decisions is something that's going to aid you in all areas of your life, not just in being a disruptive entrepreneur. Whether it's relationships, making money, building your business, hiring and firing, going to the gym, health and fitness, anything relies on the ability to make decisions. Now, a lot of people think that making decisions is hard and that making decisions take a long time. You know, decisions can take days, weeks, months, sometimes years. I want to bust out and dispel some of those myths because I don't think that's true. I believe the reality is in decision making that it is like anything. It's a practice. It's a learned skill. It's something you can get better at. And people often say that they're not good at making decisions if they're maybe a procrastinator or they get overwhelmed. But I believe that they just let their fears, doubts, concerns, worries and the imaginations they have about how something will turn out. I believe they get their head consumed with those mixed with a lack of clear vision, passion and inspiration and not understanding one's values. Because if you're clear on your values and your vision, if you know what you're here to do, the, your purpose and your legacy, something that comes onto your desk or in your email inbox or something that's a big decision that might have a big implication on people or could hurt some people, for example, you know, look at the decisions they have to make in the military or, or in government, some of those decisions in politics, they're, they're huge. I mean, people can die based on the decisions that people make. But when you're clear on your vision and strategy, when you're clear on your passion and your values, it's spontaneously obvious what the right decision is. And so before I go into the detail of getting better at decisions and decisions, decisions, JFDI, I would say just make sure you're clear on your vision, your legacy, and what your values are. Now, if this is not the first episode of The Disruptive Entrepreneur you've listened to, or if you've read my book, Life Leverage, then you should really be clear on that. But really, the first step to getting better at making good, important decisions is being clear on vision, strategy, values, because it's so clear to you what you shouldn't do. Therefore, there's not this procrastination and overwhelm around all these different choices and options of which one doesn't seem better than the other, or or they all seem hard. That all just kind of dissipates and you have this spontaneous clarity. So going back to the time it takes to make a decision. You know, if someone takes, for example, 20 years to give up smoking because they've wanted to for 20 years or alcoholism or, or any bad habit, what's actually happened is it's taken them 19 years, 364.999 days to prepare for the decision, and then the decision to be a non-smoker or a non-drinker happens in that instant of decision. So actually... It's the preparation for the decision that takes the time, but the decision takes an instant. So how can you cut down all of that noise, the doubts, the fears, the second guesses, the BS in your head that takes the days, the weeks, the months or the years and get to that point of nanosecond decision-making? Now, I'm not saying make rash and uninformed decisions. We'll get to that soon. I'm just saying remember that a decision happens in a, a split nanosecond. Now, when that decision is made, the action or the result or the journey towards success actually isn't over and you are then making a series of of nanosecond decisions. So, for example, someone, my dad actually has given up smoking so many times he's got really good at it. Now, at the moment, he hasn't been smoking for a few years, uh, but he's probably given up smoking 10 or 11 times. So some people could argue, well, he's not very good at giving up smoking then. Or I would argue he's has been brilliant at giving up smoking. He's done it 11 times. So he was able to decide to give up smoking. But then every minute, hour of a day where you're presented with an opportunity to smoke again or you get those feelings or thoughts in your head. Now, of course, I'm talking about smoking, but I could be talking about spend on marketing or, or whether you should hire someone or let someone go or, or anything in your business. Daily, you're faced with decisions again that move you in the direction still more towards that initial decision or regress you back towards kind of overthrowing that previous decision. So decisions take nanoseconds, but you're going to be then faced with many more future nanosecond decisions that either continue down the path of that one big decision, like I'm not going to be a smoker, or regress you back towards smoking again. And just like one nanosecond decision can mean you're a non-smoker forever, one nanosecond decision to just have a drag of one cigarette can undo all of that good work. So here's the thing with all of these things you think about, the noise, the doubts, the fears, the imaginations you have, the conversations you have that aren't real, the BS in your head. These things that you think are going to happen that make it harder for you to make the decision, they rarely, if ever, do. Have you ever had an argument with someone in your head? Of course you have. Have you ever had all the courage to create all this road rage in your cacophony protected car full of airbags and you've become this aggressive person and you've imagined how when someone cut you up, they completely disrespected your whole identity as a human being? And all these things we do and we create in our mind, but they're never actually often the reality of the result or the scenario at hand. So because the reality must be at least 99% different to how we play it out in our head, why don't you just screw it and do it? Why don't you just test, tweak, pivot as you go, fail forward fast, iterate, review, go again? Because the risk probably isn't to make the big decision, which isn't a big decision, because remember, it's only a nanosecond decision, and then you're making lots of little decisions. The risk is probably not making that first decision that then, like dominoes, sparks off a load of other decisions. So actually a success, a result, making money, building a great business, starting a business, quitting your job, it's not actually one great success on one big decision. It's the big decision that you perceive in your mind that gets the ball rolling and then it's the domino of the lots of decisions afterwards. Therefore, why don't you get perfect later on? Why don't you start now? Why don't you enjoy the journey of discovering all these new decisions you need to make in a transient nanosecond of time and enjoy the possibility of what could happen? Now, like I said, I believe you can get a lot better at making decisions. And some of the worst decisions become the best decisions. Some of the best decisions become the worst decisions. So you have this outcome, this perception of belief in your mind of how a decision will turn out. I'm saying that there's at least 99% chance it won't won't turn out like that. What that means is the following, and this is important. It means that what you're probably convinced will be a good decision may not be, probably won't be or will be different. But also, paradoxically, what you think or you perceive to be what may not be a good decision could end up, may likely end up being a great decision. So actually, when you think of it like that, the weight that we put on ourselves of a deci- to make a decision, to separate in a relationship, for example, or to relocate our business premises or to take on more overhead, whatever, the reality of the importance of that decision is probably nowhere near as important or as big as you make it. And then, like I said before, the domino effect can iterate you forward to a different outcome, even though you had a set outcome in your mind. So it's like you need to have this outcome to make a decision to drive towards a goal or a result or a success. But then you need to let go of the outcome of that decision because there's going to be a load of decisions in the process. Things that you thought were good decisions may not be, things that you thought were poor decisions may end up being the best decisions. And you move forward towards an outcome you're perceiving that you want, but you probably end up at a different outcome. So talk about paradox and irony. But the point of this is that you should just make faster, quicker and more decisions if you want to get towards a result. Now, looking at this balance paradox, which if you've listened to all the other entre- disruptive, 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 For years, people have been asking me where I buy my watches. Many of you may know I'm a watch collector, I'm a watch investor, and those as an asset class have done me very well in the last 15 years. I have never shared where I source my watches from or my watch dealer until now. My watch dealer used to be a professional footballer for Manchester United, and he formed a watch brand called Broadwalk. And please don't share this, but his number is 07496 878 153. Obviously, only message him if you're serious about buying and investing in the higher-end watches. People have been asking me for years, and for the first time ever, you can get access to my watch team. In a podcast, you'll know I talk about paradox and balance a lot. You know, there's upside in every downside, there's downside in every upside. So a decision that you think you're making that's good, there's going to be some downside to that decision. And conversely, you look back at a decision that was bad and actually there's going to be a lot of upside and a lot of good in that decision. And I want to talk about some of what these big perceived bad decisions or failures are because... I think a lot of people fear failure. They fear looking silly in front of people, making mistakes in front of people. One of the biggest fears of public speaking is forgetting what you're going to say. But it's not because you're going to have memory loss. It's because you're, how silly you're going to look in front of people. So we make this big thing in our mind. Remember, most of it doesn't happen about these failures, these mistakes, and therefore it makes us procrastinate, overanalyze. It gets us overwhelmed. It gets it creates inaction. So, for example. I don't know if you're into music, but there was a day when a drummer, and I don't know who created this sound, but there was a day when a drummer was trying to hit the drum, you know, like a snare drum. It's quite big, isn't it? Well, it's at least 18 inches in diameter. And a drummer's trying to hit that with a tiny stick and he misses the whole of the drum and he hits the rim. And now if you listen to music in every R&B album... Or even in a lot of rock albums, there's a technique of hitting the drum where you lay the stick on the drum and you hit the rim and it has like a clicking sound. And that's become a technique now. That was a mistake. Someone missed the drum. I don't know, for example, if you're into rock or metal music. A bit of a a, a shameful admission here, I am into some some dark music too. Now, let's use an example that most people may know of. And let's say use the example of Nirvana. So Nirvana's most famous song smells like teen spirit. I'm sure you know it. And there's that very famous riff. And if you know how to play the guitar or you've ever tried to play it, part of that riff is a muffled chord where you don't hold the chord or press the strings properly. You just kind of, you, you, you muffle it and you dumb it down and you dull it and you just kind of strum and they, the, eh, 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 down and out. Eh, 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 okay, uh, if you're listening to me on two times speed, that doesn't make any sense. But that eh, 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 sound is a mistake. Someone was trying to play a chord and they made a mistake. And that's created one of the most famous riffs in history. The whole of heavy metal is a detuned note or strings. So someone somewhere sometime was trying to play the guitar and it was out of tune. And they thought, wow, that sounds interesting. That sounds different. Now, the whole of heavy metal is the detuned top string. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that these mistakes or what perceived to be errors or bad decisions can create magic. The Pisa Tower, the famous Pisa Tower in Italy, it took 177 years to build that tower that doesn't even stand up straight. And now it's a famous tower and it even has the name the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Penicillin was created from a discarded Petri dish that was just left and mould grew Uh, and it was was an accidental discovery. Chocolate chip cookies weren't intended to be chocolate chip cookies, they were failed chocolate cookies. (laughs) Get that? Cornflakes were an accident where a pot of grain was left to boil for days and days accidentally it just kind of boiled until it was dry. And then this residue at the bottom created cornflakes. As you probably know, the most famous one, the post-it note was an accidental, it was a glue that wouldn't stick properly and and wouldn't work. The x-ray machine, which must have saved hundreds of thousands of lives, was just an experiment for something else. And when when they saw that they could see through a case and they could see paper behind a case, they were like, wait a minute, this is interesting. So many of these epic failures and bad decisions aren't bad decisions. They're great decisions. Many of the artists' new techniques, I mean, I'm sure some artists somewhere along the line spill all their paint onto a canvas and then then made millions out of it. So if if you embrace the journey, set your outcome, but let go of the over-need and desire and control for this decision to be perfect, and you do what we call getting perfect later, Then your results, your journey, your successes, they evolve, they grow, they grow, they create themselves. So get perfect later, start now. As you go, tweak, iterate, pivot. You know, it's very common in the Silicon Valley world to hear words like iterate or iterations or version 2.0 or 3.0 or 3.115 or pivot, which is to change your strategy as you go when you embrace a new opportunity. So 3M, they discovered this accidental glue, this glue that wouldn't stick properly. And then they would have pivoted and created the post-it note. And of course, when sales went wild, then of course, they focus a lot of their sales on that. Rolls-Royce used to just be an aircraft engineer company, and they would have pivoted at some stage and got more into car manufacturing as, as things changed. So On your journey of making frequent decisions, how can you iterate, which means to tweak, to improve, to do version two, three, four, five. And then if you hit a wall and your original model isn't quite working, pivot, change. Or if something comes into your business model or into your industry and it's like this biggest opportunity ever and you've got a massive opportunity, then pivot, then change, then tweak. Now, they say, don't they, that two wrongs don't make a right. Well, often in decision making, two bad decisions do make a good one. So decide fast, decide forward. And if you make what seems like a bad decision, make another decision to correct that decision. Two or three or four or five bad decisions can still lead to a good decision. And two or three not so good decisions is way better than no decisions. So uh, one of my mentors used to say to me, Rob, just fail forward fast. Now, when you de-risk the decision being something that's catastrophic, then you can afford these iterations, these tweaks, these tests and the improvements. Now, most people, they don't make decisions because they are really worried about making a mistake of the decision or the impact of a wrong decision. And so what they do is they do loads of analysis and research, which is often just a veiled procrastination, and they're trying to get perfect now so that they don't make any mistakes. So I believe, especially if you are someone who does procrastinate or gets overwhelmed or, can't, or you feel, remember this isn't true, but you feel that you can't make decisions that well, have a little rule for yourself, which is to get to a certain percentage or a certain stage and then make the decision. So what you could do is you could do your research and analysis and you could get 70 to 80% of the data and the research and the information that you could get to to make a decision and then make a decision. So, for example, you might have two or three people that you want to hire and you're not sure about which one to hire. You have to get to a point where you make a decision. You hold your breath, you do it, and then you accept that decision and you make that decision work. So create a rule for yourself and say, I'm going to do this research and this analysis, sure, but I'm going to get around 70 to 80% of the way to being ready to make the decision, and then I'm going to make the decision. Now, you can always correct a mistake or you can undo a decision or you can change or you can pivot or you can iterate. So it's not a disaster if you don't make the, the decision, but it's probably the most disaster if you never make the decision. Now, remember, no decision is still a decision. To procrastinate, to overanalyze, to over-research, to create doubt, fear, worry, concern, that is actually still a decision. And whilst it might not seem like a decision, it's a decision. Everything that you do that's waffle and peripheral around the key task or the, the most important thing for you, the income generating task, that is still a decision. So you're making these nanosecond decisions thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of times a day. But remember that no decision is still a decision. So you are good at making decisions. Maybe just now, if you're not making the right ones or your results aren't what you want, is the only thing is that you're not making the right decisions or the hard decisions in your mind or the brave decisions or the important decisions or the big decisions. So every, every action is a decision. So that means you're good at making decisions. You just need to practice making bigger or more important ones. Now, on the note of making bigger or more more important decisions, I think a lot of people, they put pressure on themselves to make the right decision because they make the decision too big in their mind. You've probably at many stages in your life thought, wow, this is a big decision. I've got to think about this. Uh, And you make a decision bigger in your mind than it is. And the bigger you make the decision, the more pressure there is, the more risk of failure there is, the more risk of looking stupid you are. And therefore, the more procrastination, analysis, paralysis And research you may do, and the the harder that may that decision may be. So just don't make that decision as big as it is. Remember, it's not big because it's a nanosecond thing that just like a dominoes sets off a load more nanosecond decisions. So don't overly pressurise yourself to make the decision bigger than it is. Just make it like any other decision. It's just the next step for the next second, minute, day, hour, week, or year of your life. Now. If you don't make that important decision, then you're going to have probably this void, you know, this dull, long ache where you're kind of safer not making it, but you have this guilt, doubt, shame, nothing changes in these days, weeks and months of not making the big decision. So sure, this big decision you've got to make, it might not be easy. There might be a big downside of it, you know, if you have to let someone go in your team, for example, you know, and that might be what you perceive to be a sharp pain. But what's, what's more painful for you? A sharp, fast pain that you can iterate and tweak and test through or, you know, that goes in a week or a month or this dull ache that lasts years when you don't make that decision that a big part of you knows you want to make. Now, I have a little formula for this, and that is test, review, tweak, do, review, repeat. So I'll say that again. Test, review, tweak, do, review, repeat. So there is no actual reality of a single decision because the test is the truth. You never know what the reality will be. You perceive it to be something. It rarely ever is. So the decision, the action, the test, the first decision, that becomes the truth but it iterates and evolves continually over time. So rather than make the decision a big decision, test something, try something, review that test, see how that test went, see how that decision's going, tweak it and make it better, iterate it or pivot completely if you need to, then do it with more volition or at a bigger level, then keep reviewing it, take feedback, and then repeat the process. So, for example, what's the the title of my book? And that's a big decision. So instead of thinking, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I'm going to take years, or instead of thinking, I know what the, the, the title of my book should be, it's going to be this, what you do is you test. You create five or ten ideas, you do a bit of a brainstorm, you go into your communities or you go on SurveyMonkey and you do some surveys and you give people some choices. And they, you whittle down 10 to 3 and then you do a second level of testing and maybe you do some pay-per-click on Google AdWords or Facebook or you ask all of your staff members, your friends, your family, everyone, and you take feedback and they say, well, that one's no good, that one's no good. And all of a sudden there's two or three that are getting the most votes and interestingly they're not what you would have thought and they might not even be the ones you like. But you're what's called crowdsourcing and you you are... Your market is telling you what, what title they would respond to the most and therefore what is most likely to sell in your book. You tweak it, you take feedback, you tweak the headline, the subheadline, you do more tests, and then you have a, a title of a book and then you implement that book as the title. And then maybe six months or a year later, you might review that. Once that's been out in the market, you may have feedback from a lot of buyers who might give you what's right and what's wrong about it. And then if it needs an iteration or if it needs shortening, then you review it and then you repeat the process. And that is the same for any decision. And it de-risks making bad decisions. It turns bad decisions into good decisions. It turns hard decisions into easy decisions. Remember also that something that you think is a good decision, there's a paradoxical, polarised balance of some things in that decision that aren't going to be good or going to be challenging. And then any bad decision that you're holding onto in your life, because a lot of people don't make decisions now because they perceive that they made bad decisions in their past. Whereas actually, a decision that you made in the past that you perceived to be bad had probably at least half a polarised paradoxical benefit to you. So something that you might perceive as a mistake may have created a lot of great things in your life. A major error may have freed up some things that are now good in your life. You know, for example, many of you listening probably accidentally had one of your children. You didn't mean to, but of course, what a great, hopefully, what a great accident that is. So it just relieves the pressure, but also gives you a more balanced reality of what a decision actually is. Now, when you're making decisions, it is smart not to just make decisions without good counsel, without good review, without research, without analysis. Remember I've said get 75 to eight percent there. So make sure you get good counsel, have good mentors, have people in this thing that you're wanting to do. Let's say you're going into a new industry or a niche or you're looking at diversifying your business model or you're looking to quit your job and get into a new enterprise and you're not sure if the model's right or if the business works. You've got to get good counsel from people who've been there, mentors, advisors, people who've made the money, people who who already have a great business in that niche. Because they can remove a lot of the doubt, fear, worry, concern over analysis and research, and they can kind of give you more of a clear view because they've been there. But the balance and the paradox of good counsel is not too much. If you have a committee of advisors all telling you different things, that can just make the procrastination and the analysis by paralysis even worse. So get really good counsel, good mentors, good advisors, but not too many and not too much. And remember, who's making the decision? You. Don't abdicate these important decisions to other people. You're making the decision. Make it. Get good counsel. Get 80% of the way, way there, but then make it. Now, if you are leveraging or outsourcing or relinquishing the decisions to someone else, which is absolutely fine. If you want to grow, you need to do that. One person has to be responsible. I've made this mistake many times. I thought copying three or four people into a decision or an action would be great because there's more likelihood of it getting done. But all that happens is everybody goes, oh, well, I'm not doing it. And you have to have one person solely responsible for the key decision or the key outcome or the key deadline or the key responsibility. Otherwise, nothing gets done. So remember, it's not your perceived reality of the decision. It's those micro decisions that form the reality and the results. Now. You need to take responsibility for that decision. Donald Trump, when he was nearly a billion in debt, famously had a conversation with a a tramp or what they call a bum in America on the street and says, hey, you think your life is bad? Well, I'm about a billion dollars worse in debt than you. And in that moment, he said that he made the decision that he was going to change it. He stopped being a victim and he started becoming responsible. Viktor Frankl in the concentration camps made the decision that no matter what inhumane things they did to him and a whole race of people, the humiliating, uh, sterilising techniques and the the starvation and the shame, he decided they weren't going to take away his freedom in his mind. And uh, Nelson Mandela decided... That despite the 25 years plus of captivity, he was not going to hold grudges and bitterness towards the people. He he decided that he was going to be free in his mind and he was going to use that, that reality in his life for good. So, these decisions you make create your realities. You can decide to be, do, have, and give anything that you want. So, anything that's not going right in your life, you can decide that they are. So, a decision isn't just an action of an external result. It's a a reality of a thought process, a mindset. It's a learnable skill because you're making decisions all the time anyway. So it's a bit like going down the gym. If you're in the gym every day, you can either do things that get you bigger, stronger, fitter, or you can just stand there looking in the mirror. So practice it. Let go of the pressure and the responsibility and the possibility of the failure. Enjoy the journey along the way or the new discoveries like the post-it notes and the cornflakes and the penicillin and pivot and tweak and iterate, and two, three, five, ten years down the line, you'll have built an amazing enterprise. You'll be making a huge amount of money and a vast difference on the planet. So thank you for tuning to this episode of The Disruptive Entrepreneur. If you haven't reviewed The Disruptive Entrepreneur yet, please do. I want to really help people get this out there to make a difference, to make more money in their lives, to disrupt their niches, their business models, their, themselves, to grow and evolve and to give back. And remember, if you share the Disruptive Entrepreneur link, so you can extract the link from iTunes or Stitcher, if you put it on any of your social profiles like Twitter or Facebook, please tag me in and I'll give you a signed copy of Life Leverage. Apparently, they're going on eBay for about £14 million, but they are going on eBay for a lot more money. Or uh, if there's any book or audio program of mine uh, that maybe you don't have if you already have the Life Leverage book, tag me in, ask. The worst I can do is say no because I want to help you help me and I want to thank you again for tuning in to The Disruptive Entrepreneur.